Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Today's show comes from Audible. Audible's selection of audiobooks is unmatched anywhere. Millions of Audible members access performances by A-list celebs and amazing narrators, just like The Vietnam War by Ken Burns from Random House Audio. In addition to audiobooks, there are so many Audible exclusives and original audio shows. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash crime. That's audible.com slash crime for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who have loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use the promo code writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, Dirty John, the super hot, awesomely named podcast that tells the story of a dangerous guy and a super unrelatable California family. Plus, we check in on a serial related update in the high profile prosecution of Bo Bergdahl, and I will fill the panel in on an amazing, crazy thing that happened to me just a couple of days ago. So joining me to dive into all of that is my true crime co-author, real life husband and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. You sound so much better this week, Rebecca. I'm feeling better. I'm 90 percent. I'm not 100 percent. But I'm 90%. I kind of felt like Spock when he takes the con when, when Kirk can't. Yes. And, and as I'm you know, I went again. on that business trip. Uh-huh. I missed the whole conference because I was so sick. And I went to urgent care and I like practically had pneumonia. So it was a good thing that I went to urgent care. Shout out to the urgent care people in D.C. Good for you guys. Urgent care. No. <laughs> Which hospital did you go to? It was an urgent care. It wasn't a hospital. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. It was a right. brand name. <laughs> it's I don't remember the brand name. Paradigm age. shift, Toby, in the uh, the medical field. You could just walk in at this You place. want access to some Z-Packs? You need to go to an urgent care these days, right. my friends. Yeah. That's the way it works. $75 copay and they will hook you up. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and card-carrying historical society member, 
Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. You know, when they make your kid Little Lincoln, you have no choice but to buy a card <laughs> to the Historical <laughs> Society. I mean, it was a good technique on their part. It's like a great family comedy. Little Lincoln. Little Lincoln. It'd be L-I-L- Lincoln. Like a kid just standing yeah. there talking and talking and talking. Like little Sheldon on CBS. <laughs> I'll have to send you guys the video because so we had Big Lincoln and Little Lincoln and we also had Tom Hassan, who is Senator Hassan's husband, who mm-hmm. was giving a speech and Little Lincoln was really in the role and he kept walking back and forth pacing with his hands behind his back shaking his head (laughs) and like Tom Hassan like just almost lost it because he just couldn't stop looking at little Lincoln yeah yeah well they got me they got me they hooked me in (laughs) and finally our favorite pragmatist and sometimes cynicist the brilliant novelist behind the city trilogy little John Wilkes Booth (laughs) (laughs) I used to do that in my Christmas pageant <laughs> and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. So, guys, uh, we had that a great event earlier this week. That was pretty great, huh? That was so awesome. <laughs> Amazing. I remember it as if it were tomorrow. (laughs) Yes, because as the time when this podcast comes out, the event will have come and gone, but it has not yet happened. So we're like in a weird. uh, Yeah, we don't know everyone's disappointment. We can't promote it. I wonder what I wore. (laughs) We can't talk about it. We can't talk about the weirdo who came out and stalked Kevin around the venue. Anyway. I wish. But something that will have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but also hasn't happened yet, is. My other podcast, HGTV and Me, is coming out. It will be out by the time this podcast drops. So if you hate tiny houses and those fucking tiny house people, definitely listen to the premiere episode of HGTV and Me. Wherever you get your podcasts, it is all about tiny houses. The episode title is WTF with Tiny Houses. So check that out. I should mention one other thing about HGTV and Me. A regular character on that little podcast is Mr. Patrick Hines from True Crime Obsessed and his husband, Steve, and they are hilarious. They are. This is great. So if you love Patrick Hines and True Crime Obsessed, you'll probably also love HGTV and me. Sounds unrelated, but I promise it's not. All right, guys. Something happened to me that you may have seen on Twitter, and I haven't even told Kevin the story yet. I've been saving it for the podcast. (sighs) Are you ready to hear about the time earlier this week when I met Sarah Koenig? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Did she serve you with papers or anything and say stop talking about me? Well, that would have required she knew who I was, Laura. And she had no no. idea. (laughs) Well, well, take it from the beginning. Explain why you were in New York and why you were crossing paths. All right. So I was in New York, my second trip of the last week. I've been on two trips this week. I had the honor of going to New York to the Edward R. Murrow Awards, very prestigious journalism awards banquet, because in my day job, the newsroom where I work won three national Edward R. Murrow Awards, including, I believe, including, in, overall, including overall excellence, best feature uh, and best series. Like mm-hmm. we, I work in a really kick ass newsroom and I think we were the only outlet there, including like CBS and Serial and so forth that won three awards. It was pretty cool. But anyway, the event happened at Gotham Hall, which is a very dramatic and beautiful venue in Midtown Manhattan. And I arrived there with my coworkers, the news director, the woman who does programming, a reporter, Sam Evans-Brown, who's been on this show before, and a producer. And we're doing the cocktail hour thing. We're all dressed up. It's super cool. And then it's time. They sort of ring the bell. It's time to go down to the banquet hall, like where the tables are. 
And I look up and Sarah Koenig is standing like 12 feet from where I'm standing. Oh. And she's standing by herself. Oh. <laughs> and, Pounce. Well, here's the thing. I hate approaching celebrities. Kevin and I have had this happen before. We see somebody that's well known, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to talk to. That I fanboy, and you're too cool for. Well, school. it's not that I just grew up in New York, where like people don't talk to famous people in New York. It's very different than other places. Like if you see a famous person in New York, you just ignore them, and they ignore you, and that's just the the code. Like that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, but I knew in that moment that Kevin P. Flynn would freaking murder me if I didn't go and try to talk to Sarah Koenig. So I walked up to her and I introduced myself. I led with, I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Um, You might know me because I actually have a podcast about your podcast. And a lot of our listeners who've been to your live events have sent me a photo on Twitter of the screen on which you show the uh, screenshots of all the other podcasts that spun off of your show. My show is one of those. It's called Crime Writers On. It used to be Crime Writers On Serial. And she's lovely. And she looks at me and she's being super polite. And she says, oh, are you the one with the typewriter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was the put moment. It together. I, yeah, yeah, that was the moment I realized that she probably didn't make those slides, put them together herself. Yeah, right. And, yeah, um, yeah. She really has no idea what our podcast is and what we talk about. I don't think Sarah Koenig honestly like consumes any pop culture at all. I think she's just kind of a luddite who does journalism at her house uh-huh, and, right. and, and records cereal in a closet in uh, in her house. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. She doesn't live in New York. She lives in Pennsylvania. I know that, and I just don't think she consumes. Other media. I know she's not there on social lot, media. A lot who actually don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so she was lovely. And so we were chatting, and you know, and then I realized, like... Wait, don't, don't yada, yada, yada Oh, no, I'm not going to yada, yada. Oh, okay, no, right. no, 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 no. I'm just trying to draw the conversation out a little bit, because like the whole crowd is walking toward the stairs that go down to where the banquet hall is. And so I try to stretch it out a little bit, and I'm like, yeah, so we were actually thinking about doing... It would be really fun sometime, when you're doing one of your events, maybe like in Boston... That we could do an event after your event and have it be like meta, our event about your event. And she's like, oh, yeah, that seems like it would be nice. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Did you say it like that? Kind of. Oh. Security. Then, <laughs> then we arrive at the top of the stairs together. Mm-hmm. And because of the way the crowd is moving, she has no choice but to walk down the stairs next to me. Oh, wow. And this is like one of those staircases that goes down like two levels and makes a turn in the middle. Uh-huh, so this uh-huh. isn't like she can pretend like she's going left. And We are walking together, yeah. shoulder to shoulder. It's like they're going to announce you like you're at the cotillion exactly. together. Exactly. So then I realized. <laughs> it's Sarah Kane with Rebecca Boy. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I have one chance to salvage this. I have like one remaining chance uh-huh. because- there is another connection that I have with Sarah Koenig that has nothing to do with Serial and, and mm-hmm. our podcast. It's that she used to be a reporter at the Concord Monitor. Mm-hmm. And we actually mm-hmm. have like five mutual friends, like actual real life friends. Like I, I see my friends on Facebook with Sarah Koenig. So uh-huh. I kind of pull that out of my butt and I'm like, hey, by the way, uh, I also know a bunch of people you know from the Concord Monitor since I work at NHPR. She's like, oh, you work at NHPR? And I was like, New Hampshire Public Radio. Yes, yes, yes. Sarah Koenig. That's actually why I'm here. 
And she was like, <laughs> the whole time down the stairs, she was like, why is this derivative podcaster <laughs> at the Edward R. Murrow Awards <laughs> talking to me? And that's when I realized like, I led with the wrong thing. Ah. Because then she started talking to me enthusiastically about New Hampshire Public Radio and how great she thinks our work is. And she saw that we won some awards and that was so great. And then she's like, you must know Anne-Marie and you must know this person and this person. So then we get to the bottom of the stairs and my news peeps are there, like my coworkers. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm still standing with Sarah Kinney. So I was nobody like, nobody has a goddamn phone. So I was like, hey, Jesus. I did, but like I couldn't go that far. So I was yeah. like, hey guys. You probably know this is Sarah Koenig. She knew my news director because they had a connections that mm-hmm. she worked with his wife at the Monitor, and he used uh-huh. to be the um, yeah, yeah. editor of the Monitor. And so then we stood around talking, uh, talking about journalism with Sarah Koenig for like ten minutes, and it was super like cool. Ten minutes? Oh yeah, totally, like ten minutes. What? Wow. Oh my goodness. And then I realized that um, I led with the wrong thing. Yeah. And um, that's how my meeting Sarah Koenig went. So well, it sounds like if you had led with that, you'd never be able to squeeze in the podcast. But right, she might yeah. like you better before well, she found out about that. It's, I think I'm relieved that at least she knows I have a day job and that I don't just oh, do this. Oh, right, it's right. Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you didn't do a GoFundMe to build a studio in your backyard. Like- exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I will tell you a couple things about Sarah Koenig. In person, she is super beautiful. She mm-hmm. has like short, very glossy hair. And she was really, 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 really nice. And I don't think my initial approach was like super off-putting. I just don't think she knew what I was talking about. Like, I really don't think she knew. I think she knows there are podcasts about her podcast. Of course she does. I don't think she's ever listened to any of no, them probably or actually knows not. what they are. So I give her the benefit of the doubt on that one. She's probably like, you guys are still doing podcasts? <laughs> we haven't done an episode in like two years. Well, it was funny because uh, one of my coworkers said, so what are you guys here for? And she's like, I don't even fucking know. That's what she said. She said- You <laughs> dropped an F-bomb? <laughs> she did. She's like, she's like, we did this thing like two years ago. She's talking about, they were actually there. They won a couple of awards for season two of Serial. Uh-huh. They won in the same category we went in so like we got to go on stage and during the same category as them so it was very cool like kate snow uh gave us our award and then gave her her award so it was very cool oh wow yeah so i met sarah kane guys it's happened so i have one more question about this this encounter yep did you ask her about season three? No. <laughs> like, when the fuck is it coming out? All right. We I really have... want to know when you're going to fuck up our lives here. When are you dropping that episode? I know people who I know know the answer to that question. Like, in the industry, like, in the audio hosting industry, I know the people, literally, who host the audio for Serial, and I know that they know, and I have thought and have asked in every way possible, like... Hey, um, should I not take a vacation in November? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And it is so tight lipped. I mean, I think that just the NDAs around cereal must just be like so ironclad. Yeah. yeah. Because I know a lot of people who would know. I know people who work with advertising stuff. I know people who work in audio hosting. I know a bunch of people who work not at This American Life, but like with This American Life people and Mm -hmm. who know them and like no one will say a word. And good for them. Good for them because I can't keep a secret to save my life. But yeah, we know that. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's how I roll. (laughs) Hey, but congratulations on your Edward R. Murrow Awards. Yes. And so Serial won for all their Bo Bergdahl coverage. Serial won for season two. They won Outstanding Series, and they also won another award for their Bo Bergdahl coverage, which brings us to this week's, Kevin, can you read this? True Crime Podcast Update. Perfect. I really thought Toby was going to steal that job from me. Yeah, I don't think I don't, Toby I don't has think a chance of stealing that job from you. 
Although I've found Toby, people either love it or they hate it. What kind of feedback have you gotten? I don't think I've gotten a whole lot of feedback. But <laughs> what I have gotten has not been like wildly positive. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Well, Kevin, do you want to show him how it's done once again? Yeah, sure. So you just have to like really, you know, put your back into it and be like, true crime update. <laughs> yeah, I didn't put my back into it when I was doing it. So to help us out this week with our true crime podcast update is a very special friend of the show, retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel and Judge Advocate James Wyrick, a.k.a. Wyrick now. To do this technically, Kevin, we are going to switch this conversation over to Skype for a few minutes. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Here we go. Hello, Wyrick. Hello, crime writers. Thank you all for letting me be on tonight. It's pretty exciting to have you on live and not just like as a like interview that we cut in. Right. Yes. And it's nice to have me and not that guy who impersonates me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Wyrick, there has been some news recently about serial season two subject Bo Bergdahl, uh, somebody that we often call on you to ask about. What the hell is going on with Bo? Well, there's some things we know, and then there's a lot more that we don't know. In this last week, um, I think UPI picked it up first, and they're, they're reporting that Bo Bergdahl will plead guilty. Now, I think anything past that is speculation. In fact, I, some of the reporting I've seen is probably not accurate, and I'm not blaming any of, any of the reporters. But um, to say that he's pleading guilty to desertion and all of the charges, I would find that very, very unlikely. Hmm. So is it more likely he's pleading guilty in exchange for one charge being dropped or negotiated down? Yes. So the charge sheet as it stands right now, I find it very unlikely that he would plead guilty across the board to all the charges. So there will be some mixing and matching. So there will be some charges that are deleted or modified. That would be the more likely scenario. So last time we talked to you, we talked about how the fact that Bergdahl, if he were to be found guilty of something or maybe plead to something, it would be deserting his post, the thing that he's kind of stipulated to, but only for that period of time before he was picked up by the Taliban, not like deserting his post for two years years or whatever it was, right? And we got to be careful about using the term desertion Mm. because desertion means an intent to never return. Okay. So he would be AWOL, absent without leave from his post, but there's that additional element of an intent to never return that turns it into desertion. And I think that that, that's a pretty tough hurdle considering everything we've already heard from Bergdahl. The military judge in this case would have already heard substantial amounts of the Mark Bowl tapes where Bergdahl gives his reasoning for leaving his post and it was never he never evidences an, an intent to never return. Hmm. You know, he says that I just wanted to run over to this other base and talk to the general, which given how junior of a soldier Bergdahl was, that is a, a pretty crazy thing to think. But I don't think in any, any of those tapes, he doesn't suggest that he was going to leave forever. Why, Rick, it seemed that in the, the recent past that there were some rulings by the judge that went against uh, the defense, or at least if, if the, had, they had gone the other way, uh, would have strengthened their defense strategy. Things like different kinds of evidence that the uh, convenient authority would allow into court. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that for the most part, I mean, you had the motion to dismiss for unlawful command influence because of the statements by then candidate Trump. And they lost that motion. And that would have disposed of the matter altogether. And then the other the, the other major things that they the defense has lost about asking potential jury members about how they voted, some things along those lines. I think that those probably resulted more directly in the decision to go judge alone hmm. so that the case would only would just be tried before a judge without jury members. Hmm. So I think that those had the most shaping effect. So this you think is erroneous, this report that he pleads, is, has pled guilty to everything. You think it might be a lesser pleading guilty situation. When and how will we find out what's actually really going on? For sure, it's erroneous that he's pled because he can't have pled until he goes before a judge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you write it down on a piece of paper. A lot of this is pretty mechanical in that he will write down on a document that he agrees to plead guilty and then in exchange for protections. Those protections are contained in a separate document. And those aren't even shown to the judge until after the judge renders the sentence. So both sides have a pretty strong drive to keep that secret. Otherwise, it could derail the whole guilty plea. Right. So this will happen, I I believe, unless they have a a court date sooner, it it should be the 23rd of October. And that's when we'll have the possible guilty plea. Well, I'm just wondering, why do you think he would do this? Do you think just the uncertainty of what is, you know, potentially going to happen to him? And and this has been dragging on so long that he's just ready to be done. Uh, Or do you think they perhaps offered him a deal that was very attractive and which seems unlikely, but you know, wh- why do you think this is coming about now? Well, you could go back to two years ago, the original Article 32 investigation. For the most part, the defense team for Bergdahl was giving a guilty plea to at least that short-term AWOL. That means absent without leave for under three days. So they were kind of conceding that point, that he's guilty of that. So I think that that, in combination with just the difficulties of the trial. I think that's probably what led to the decision to plead guilty in this case. But I'll tell you, there's still a lot of unknowns. We'll find out pretty much everything on the 23rd. And the military is unlike some civilian jurisdictions. It's not just you can't go in there and do a nolo contendry plea where they just accept the guilty plea. There's a lot of question and answer session with the judge. So This is far from a foregone conclusion. So I have a final question for you, Wyrick. Chelsea Manning, she's been having a rough time lately. She was denied entry into Canada. Uh, Her fellowship invitation at Harvard's Kennedy School was revoked, and that led to some continuing conflict now between Chelsea Manning and the dean of the Harvard Kennedy School. Do you think life after all this will be tough for Bo Bergdahl? I mean, how will he navigate these spaces, like be an American citizen when this is all done, are things going to be as tough for him as they've been for Chelsea Manning? Well, I I hope he kind of takes a different path than Chelsea, because I think that Canada, okay, you don't get to go to Canada. That's probably a bonus. Who who needs to go there? Oh, come on. (laughs) I love Justin Trudeau. I'm going there. He was wearing some great socks You can go for the poutine. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that was more of a, probably a misstep by Harvard that, and not taking anything away from 
what Chelsea Manning has to offer. But I, I think that if Bo Bergdahl, it seems that from what we know about him, he's much more of a private individual. Mm. So I, I could see him going back to Haley, Idaho and, and working at the tea shop. He doesn't strike me as the type of person who would go out on that national speaking right. tour. I mean, Chelsea, Manning, life, yeah, Chelsea yeah. Manning had a Twitter account when she was in, incarcerated. Right, so. right, right. But it's not going to be easy. There are still, I get a lot of feedback from the military community. There is a lot of anger towards Bo either mm. way. Yeah. Well, Wyrick, thank you so, so much for joining us during our taping tonight to fill us in on the Bergdahl case and for lending us a little bit of credibility with your uh, military background and, of course, your super gravelly voice. It just it just makes us all seem much more manly. <laughs> it's just fun to be all around all of you. I wish I wasn't so far away. I'm the West Coast contingent. Well, Wyrick, we are having food from the Thirsty Moose tomorrow <laughs> night, and I'm so sad that you're not going to be there for that. How, how New Hampshire is that? Like the Thirsty Moose. Pretty New Hampshire. Podunk AF. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we wouldn't be able to fit your big square head into the place. So. <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, Wyrick, thanks so much again. It's a pleasure. All right. So, Laura, given what we heard from Wyrick there, do you think Bo Bergdahl should plead guilty to some or all of the charges he's facing? It's a hard call because I still I agree with him um, in terms of we don't even really know what the real information is because of the way that it was leaked out. So some of the information about this plea deal may not even be super reliable. So I'm going to reserve judgment for now. What about you, Toby? What do you think Bo should do? I Yeah, I mean, I. I trust his counsel, I guess. I mean, he's in a tough situation. So I think if he gets a, if he's been promised a good deal, like, I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't take it. Do you agree with Wyrick that he'll probably just go back to Idaho and we won't see much of him again? Uh, yes. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? What do you think Bo Bergdahl should do at this point? I, I think that if it's a um, plea deal that uh, allows him to serve uh, some time, but not uh, in an ordinate amount of time, then he probably should take it. You know, just the thing to point out is that he has been in the army this whole time he came back. He has, because of the, these proceedings, he has not been allowed to leave or be discharged from the military. In a way, you could kind of say that, that he's being held by the government, you know, to the thing. So he has been serving an awful lot of time. Right. So if he has, well, he something, has a job, he's on the base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it isn't like he's in combat and it's right, not, right. it isn't being in prison. Right. But as far as like his ability to go back to Idaho or wherever his family is living in now, he, he can't do that. But if it's something that where it feels like the army is getting what they want uh, as a deterrence and justice and that he's getting something that seems to be fair, I'd say do it. It might mean some time in the brig, but all that really means is it's just more time for Bo Bergdahl to listen to audiobooks from Audible. <laughs> Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. Everybody on the panel always has a favorite audiobook or a current one that they want to tell people about. So, Laura, do you have a recommendation for us? In honor of Wyrick, I am continuing my cozy mystery reading binge that I've been on where I've been reading lighthearted mysteries. And I am reading one that takes place in an apple orchard. And we just learned that Wyrick lives on a farm with an apple orchard. And uh, this is a story in which a murder takes place on an apple orchard where a woman has returned to kind of fix up the old farmhouse and sell it and until somebody ends up dead dead in her yard. Uh, it's called One Bad Apple by Sheila Connolly. I'm, I'm <laughs> on a real... <laughs> 
I, I just finished uh, listening to a book called The Child by Fiona Barton. This was a really fun book. Uh, this author wrote the New York Times bestselling book, The Widow. It's a psychological suspense novel. Basically, a, a skeleton of a baby is found and it trips off a series of investigations. It's told in multiple voices. I really liked it. I think if you like Gone Girl, you would really like The Child by Fiona Barton. T-Ball, anything? I'll recommend the Area X trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. What's that? That sounds great. The first one's about to be made into a movie, so everybody's going to know about it. But there's, there's three books. It's Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance, and they were published separately, but I think you can get them in one volume now. And I think the audiobook is all three together. It's sort of a cross between science fiction and weird fiction, but it's about this very strange sort of environmental anomaly and these women who are sort of sent in to explore. Hmm. Well, there are millions of Audible members that access performances by A-list celebs and amazing narrators, because in addition to the audiobooks, there are so many Audible exclusives and original audio shows. Now, to get a free audiobook like one of those, you can also get a 30-day trial by going to audible.com slash crime. crime. That's audible.com slash crime, crime for a free audiobook and your 30-day trial. I just realized we saw the trailer for that book that Toby just talked about when we saw Blade Runner. That We saw the trailer for that movie uh, with Natalie Portman. Oh, I might have right. slept through that. <laughs> no, shut up. Blade Runner was awesome. I don't want to hear it. Is that because Kevin had watched Blade Runner three times before you went? <laughs> And that's why he was using it as a time to sleep. <laughs> oh, nice callback, Laura Bricker, to the time he went and saw Star Wars without me and lied about it. Excellent callback, Laura Bricker. Yeah, I almost left in the middle of it. Um, you know, even <laughs> if you have a military haircut like Bo Bergdahl, you can still benefit from the shampoos from Virtue Labs. Yes, you can. Because Virtue Labs is a new hair care brand with the goal of giving everyone the best hair scientifically possible, whether your hair is short or long or somewhere in between. They complete with alpha-carotene 60KU, a whole human protein that's identical to the carotene in your own hair. Virtual Labs hair products have the power to resurface and fill in cracks from damage to change your hair's quality and appearance forever. So this means more bounce, more shine, more strength, and more life to your hair. Rebecca, what do you think? Has it worked for you? Oh, I love Virtue Labs. When you were talking about it, I was thinking, like, we should make Wyrick try some Virtue Labs <laughs> on his, like, little ginger buzz cut. And then he could just, like, run his fingers through his giant square head and just talk about how it makes it soft and makes his hair feel. But no, it he is. He looks like a Minecraft character. He looks actually. exactly like yeah, a yeah, Minecraft yeah. character. No, I love this shampoo and conditioner. I'm actually, I think last time we taped, I was also out and I had to order more, but I've been traveling and I haven't been able to. And I'm dying to order more. My hair feels so soft. I also love. Love the Virtue Labs hairspray and the styling cream that they sent. So awesome. So you have to say the URL with the code so that I can get some more immediately. In clinical settings, Virtue found a 67% reduction in frizz after just four washes and a 95% reparation of split ends after five applications. Are you ready to experience it? Our listeners can now try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping with the code CRIME. Visit VirtueLabs.com to place your order. It's time to start treating our hair with a little more humanity. (laughs) Dignity, damn it. (laughs) It's time for Virtue. And use the code what? Crime. Crime. All right. Before we get into the next thing, I promised somebody if they donated to Walk a Mile in their shoes that I would mention them. We had one late entry, and I wanted to thank Andrea Norman. Thanks very much. Oh, Andrea Norman. We should just do a whole segment about Andrea Norman and her gift, her late gift. 
Is it too late? Can people still give if they want to? They absolutely can still give. Go to our website and give. Put that link up. I think I took it down because I thought it was over. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but they'll always accept money at the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. All right. Well, speaking of people in crisis, I don't mean to be glib, but... We are now going to talk about Dirty John, and that is kind of what that's all about. Yeah. Dirty John is a blockbuster podcast taking the charts by storm. It's produced by the LA Times and reported by Christopher Gofford, who takes a six-episode look at the bizarre relationship between successful interior design entrepreneur and four-time divorcee Deborah Newell and John Meehan, a hunky guy who pretends to be an anesthesiologist and Iraq war veteran, but as it turns out, is a dangerous grifter with decades of damage and deceit in his past one note this is a story that is i think just about impossible to review and really discuss without spoilers yeah so we're gonna try something new if you just want to right now hear our thumbs up and thumbs down review of dirty john without a bunch of plot spoilers look in the show notes i'm gonna provide the timestamp where we do that thumbs up and thumbs down and then after you listen to it if you choose to you can come back and listen to this conversation so again Pause right now if you don't want to be spoiled by all the spoilery shit we're going to be talking about. Go for to sure. all of, jo- of Dirty John. <laughs> no, look, and if you just want to find it, if you should, look at the show notes for the timestamp where we just give that review. Isn't that genius of That's me? That's genius. All right, so here we go. Many of the discussion points we're going to be talking about today were raised by the fine, fine folks on the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. So a special thanks to them. What's up, Pete? For helping produce this week's show first off this is some story and one of the things that i found really interesting about it and uh toby i'd love your take is the way they released this podcast six episodes instead of waiting week by week every two days kind of giving people the opportunity to listen and then giving them another one right away what did you think of this format because i don't think we've covered a show that's done this before yeah no i thought it was good you know by the time i kind of had it on my radar I think there was like four episodes out already, so there wasn't really much delay. Like I didn't actually end up waiting very much between them. You know, I, I think I think it was about right, especially if you started with one. I think having a day or two to kind of mull it over and, and talk to other people who are listening to it this seems about right before the next episode came out. Now, there are some, um, I was talking with Toby about this a little bit today, and I'd love his take on it first, and then I'm going to come to you, Kevin. There's kind of a couple of narrative tricks that are done in this podcast, and it starts with one, which is hinting that this is a true crime murder story, and then kind of never getting to that ever again until episode six, until the end. What did you think of that narrative structure and and just kind of the narrative structure of this overall, Toby? Well, I think that part, the very first little segment, I think it's a corner talking about this body and about how there were like 19 stab wounds or something. And that if there's one thing he could tell is that she fought like hell. And then it just, you know, kind of cuts off there. You're kind of left with the impression that some woman was was stabbed mm-hmm. to death. Yep. And spoiler alert, that's not what happens. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say spoiler alert. We already covered that. <laughs> right. And I, I think this, this is actually something that uh, with what I'm working on right now in my own writing it's, you know, how do you withhold information in a way that's fair to the reader, mm-hmm. or in this case, the listener? And first of all, I, I love Dirty John. I, I, think it's, I think it's a great podcast. That little piece at the beginning 
I do feel is a little deceptive. You know, I, I think it makes the surprise at the end greater. But if I was doing it, I don't think I would have done that. Mm. But it is, it's a tough thing. Like, it's something that, you know, like I said, right now in my own writing, it's something I think about a lot and I kind of struggle with is like, what can you withhold from the reader? What ways can you use misdirection to keep the reader off balance, but not in a way that kind of cheats them? Right. Or, or is dishonest. Right. And and I actually think that was one of two times they did that. And the second time I actually thought was worse, which was the beginning of episode six. When we're reintroduced to Tara, the other daughter, they talk about her in the past tense for the first like few minutes of that episode. Tara was somebody that everyone said was sweet. Tara lived. Tara did. And I was just like, oh, but we heard Tara in this podcast. She can't be dead. Like, I remember thinking like, but it was a strange and it was it was definitely a choice because these are journalists. This is the L.A. Times. This isn't not this is not somebody positive. No one else was referred to in the past tense before that. I am sure that it stuck out for me in that episode. Well, what do you think? Well, I noticed that they did refer to John in the past tense. When I started to have some suspicions about what was going on, I started paying attention to that. And they did refer to him in the past tense. But I was like, well, it could just be that he's no longer, you know, bothering them and he moved away. But that did stand out to me. Kevin, what do you think of the narrative structure, Dirty John? I liked it. I think it it owes more in its DNA to S-Town than it does to Serial. You know, I keep seeing these comparisons to S-Town and I don't fucking get it. I don't get it. Why are you and other people comparing this podcast to S-Town? Because it's not a... Murder mystery in the sense of what we think of conventional true crime podcasting. It is more of a character study. Not in the same sense of how, you know, Brian uh, looked at uh, John and John was, you know. And, uh, John McLemore. John McLemore. Yeah. Not Dirty John. Not Dirty John. Which, by the way, can we no. agree, is the best name for a podcast and the best name for a character. Like, it's yeah. so good, right? Yeah, it was. You know, and I also think part of it is I, I think that the L.A. Times, when they uploaded this podcast, they mislabeled the category that it was listed in. Hmm. Because I saw this as a up and coming, and it's not listed as true crime or- Is it news and politics? No, it, it isn't. It, it was like, uh, I forget the exact name of the category, but it's like personal diary or hmm. personal. And I listened to the preview, and I was like, this looks like it's true crime because of the art, but it, it's somebody's recollection of a person. And it wasn't until Laura like sort of corrected me, like, no, 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 there's there's something about a crime in this, and it's also really, really good. Right. Toby was right. I, I couldn't remember, like, why was I thinking that the dead person in the beginning was a woman? But also a lot of true crimes- have to do with dead women, and we're very used right. to that. We are very used to that trope of the dead woman, right? And it's and it's sort of a, a writer's promise that this is the question that will be resolved. Mm. Look, in any story, how do you build conflict? There are three ways: mystery, surprise, suspense. And so we are always disadvantaged when we write true crime because it's always. People open the book and they look at the photos in the middle and they already know who the killer is, right? So we have to find different ways to make our stories interesting and that's with suspense or that's with sort of, you know, flash backs and flash for, and foreshadowing and whatnot. And, I, and I, I see Toby's point. I'm okay with the fact that they sort of led with that. And then there was a misdirection because I was going through this and I saw that the name of the last episode was Tara. Mm-hmm. Kind of forgot that that's who we were, who had been speaking. And I'm thinking, oh. Well, they just tipped their hand. Tara's the dead one. Right, right. And it was totally full. Right. Well, what's interesting is that you just talked about mystery, suspense, and what was the third thing? Surprise. Surprise. I'll tell you, I actually hated the narrative structure of this podcast for for most of it until about episode four. I didn't care for it. And episode four, I felt like I got it. 
But when you talk about how hard it is to do true crime because people can open the the middle of the book and see, that was the genius of doing this every two days. Because I kind of didn't have time to Google the woman's name and find her in news articles. You won't find anything. You won't find anything. And that was, for me, what was so great about this podcast I Googled the shit out of this and I found because I, I was like I started because, you know, in the beginning, we, I wasn't really paying too much attention to the stabbing scene in the beginning. I was like, maybe they're just introducing, you know, the prosecutor or whoever it was, the coroner. And then, you know, but for me, what was brilliant about this is the way that the suspense kept upping with each episode. I was like, who is it? What's going on? And I'm Googling and Googling. All I find was like this like short like four graph story about John being stabbed. No information about who did it. No other details. And then I found one other article about him in Ohio or Michigan where he had gotten caught taking drugs in the hospital. So I liked the fact that I couldn't spoil this. And it was like, oh. And so I had a little bit of information. And so when we had, I think it was episode four, where we're talking about like the zombie killer kit, I was like, oh, (laughs) there's a reason they're talking about that. That's what I thought was great. What made this such a good story to use was that it hadn't been overplayed before it became a podcast. It hadn't been covered. Because there were no charges, right? Yeah. All right. I want to talk about Deborah's family. (laughs) (laughs) Who I find to be, to a person, the least relatable people I have ever listened to on a show. To me, they're less relatable than the Kardashians in some ways. They're very California, which, by the way, is not an insult. It's just, it's a way of kind of being. And their voices sound like the Californians, that SNL skit that they used to do about the Californians, remember? Yeah, and, you know, we have this sort of setup of this woman who is, God forgive me, because you know how much I talk about sexism on this show, who is always described as this super sharp entrepreneur. And relationship stuff aside, I don't blame people that are in crappy relationships because I know people who have been in relationships very much like the one described in this podcast, and they're very and those are smart people, and that's a different dynamic. That aside, just doesn't really seem like the kind of person who would run like a hugely successful business. She has a daughter who's keeping her Hermes bags in a safe. She has another daughter who seems to think that zombies might actually be real. I'm not sure. (laughs) And then she has a mother who days after her other daughter is murdered by an abuser, tells him she loves and forgives him and then testifies on his behalf at his trial. It's a very kind of. Do you of, see why the reporter was drawn to this story, though? I, this is this is this is my question for you. Yeah. I was really stuck. You're on, not wrong, by the is way. Is he trying to normalize them just by no. telling? No, listen, because when he talks about them, his narrative isn't like, guys, these people aren't very relatable, but this is what they did. He just talks about them. It's like Jacqueline, you know, briefly worked for her mother's interior design business, and this and that, and, 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 and sort of buying the books at the library by color, not by. <laughs> Not by yeah. a text. And it yeah. just, it all, and, and so he's talking about them very normally. He's talking about this narrative very normally. And the entire time I was just thinking, like, is this podcast really about, you know, kind of before I knew it was going to turn into like a crime thing, is it really about just the weirdness of these people and the unrelatability of them and sort of the way they interact with each other? Is that the story that he's also trying to tell? I don't know if I thought that was the story he was trying to tell. I just thought that this family was, I mean, it was some of the more maddening parts of this podcast were listening to the mother suddenly forgive 
the husband Billy. for killing her daughter. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. like, what is wrong with these people? And just listening to sort of their interpersonal dynamics in the family and how they were interacting with each other. I, I was, but then I was just like, well, it's, I, I mean, it's just a different world where they're living. So maybe it's cultural, but, you know, I have good friends who moved here from California and they don't act like this. So I, I don't know. For me, it was just, I, I don't understand how she can be so successful when she's such a wet blanket. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I was like, oh my God, I wanted to punch her. And, and I was just like, what is wrong with you? It seemed like there was, he didn't explore this a whole lot, but it, it kind of gets mentioned a few times. Is that I think there's a religious aspect to all mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they describe John as being a Christian man. And I think this sort of like radical act of forgiveness is sort of more of a faith based thing mm-hmm. than anything else. I mean, I don't think it's like a California cultural thing, certainly. Right. right. When, when I was talking about the California stuff, I'm mostly talking about affect delivery, the things they talked about, like the measure of how nice somebody is to you is how often they go get your car washed for you. I found that less relatable than going back to a bad relationship and over and over and over again, frankly. Oh, yeah. No, I I do. Although I didn't focus too much on how it seemed like there were so many strange things going on in that family (laughs) that like parsing it by like, what was a weird influence on this or weird influence on that? It was like dysfunctional, but in sort of a different way than than you usually see, I think. Right, right. They were kind of like people that were like, and Toby, you've done a lot of work with cults. They reminded me of people that are in a cult and are following the leader no matter what. Well, it kind of seems like for the daughters, they're very attached to the mom, clearly. And then for mom, yeah. it's about this love, this pursuit of love and happiness yeah. and, and peace or something. Kevin, you look like you're just shaking your head. What are you? What's going on? Yeah, that, that, that wasn't my take on the story at all. The story is about John, who's a grifter. And these are his marks. Well, Deborah is his mark. Mm -hmm. And then we see what the resistance is on the outside. I didn't read too much into the idea that Tara wanted to to do zombie apocalypse stuff. I mean, I thought it was interesting and and funny. I, I just didn't like think that it somehow changed the way I'm supposed to view her or that that is sort of, you know, a theme is that they're a weird family. I thought the thing about the zombie apocalypse, at least my take on it, was that because she, like, thinks about that stuff when she gets attacked by a guy with a knife, like, she's somehow mentally prepared for it. Hmm. Yeah. Like, she she thinks about that yeah. stuff. Like, if somebody attacked me with a knife, I'd be like, holy shit, what the hell's going on? But for her, it was like, oh, yeah. You know, in this case, I got to like start stabbing him in the eyes. Exactly. Headshot, headshot, right? Yeah. yeah. And as a writer, Toby, I would totally play that up. I I think it's an important detail. It's an important detail. But I also think, you know, and it wasn't that they didn't draw the direct line, but Tara is largely dismissed by her family over and over again in this podcast. Like when she bursts into tears in that Christmas when John's there, everyone's like. She was the only one that John didn't file a restraining order. Right. And and she's always sort of pushed aside. I think because they probably thought she's a little out there and Uh therefore harmless. Right. I mean, I think that's. small. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of how it yeah. plays in. Now, here's a question from uh, Lisa, who is actually the founder of the official Crime Writers on yeah. uh, Facebook discussion group, Laura. Lisa wants to know from you, your take on John. Have you ever instantly met someone and either feared them or knew they were evil, like, immediately? I think I have, yes. I mean, I can't think of anybody specifically right off the top, but I know that I've definitely had instances where I've met somebody either through work or just around town. And I've been like, something 
feels off and I've gone and maybe done some research on the person. And that sort of brings me to a, a part about the, it reminds me one of the themes that kept coming up for me uh, was like intuition in this podcast mm-hmm. and sort of like we all had intuition that this guy was something bad was going to happen. The family members all had intuition that something bad was going to happen. And, you know, Deborah was the only one who didn't. But I thought, you know, especially at the end, you know, speaking of knowing something bad's going to happen, Tara had that dream where it was that was really uh, you have to wonder if she would have been as prepared if she hadn't kind of had all these sort of gut feelings that something was going on. But that's I've definitely had that gut feeling when I've met somebody where I've been like, you know, and and I, I, I think back to some of the folks I met in jail and there was there was one that stands out that I can't get too much into, but I can say that I knew I didn't want to be alone with that person. I have a feeling I know who you're talking about. Now, Toby, there is a lot of, you know, it's, 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 I see it in our Facebook discussion group. I see it on Twitter. I see it online. There is a lot of Deborah blaming that kind of is going on in the discussion oh, around really? this podcast. Somebody told me that they think this podcast is about basically, it's a podcast about the worst parent in the entire world uh, who like. Really? This is what people are focusing I'm on? I'm telling you, I have pages and pages and pages of comments here of people either blaming Deborah or saying, this I don't like think it's fair to blame. It's like watching Star Wars and spending a lot of time talking about why the stormtroopers can't shoot anything. Well, I think that is that, not the story. But I think we are coming from a different place, right? Yeah. We actually wrote a book about a super bad relationship that went awful and wrong. Yeah. And it's Dirty John. It's not stupid Deborah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. But <laughs> that's also, a good slogan, Kevin. Yes. <laughs> but also, isn't that isn't this isn't that one of the things? And they point this out over and over again. He was very, very good at being a grifter. Yeah. He was yeah. a grifter for a long time, and yeah. he was good at it. So, Toby, like, isn't it kind of like not fair to blame somebody when the whole story is about how good he is at this? And she was also a victim of his, you yeah, know. Victim blaming's evil. good all of a sudden. I don't think it's fair. Yeah. I don't think it's fair. Toby, what do you think? You know, I, I guess I kind of saw this as the podcast as sort of being about the dynamic that's created by him arriving, you know, and that it changes her dynamic with her family. There's her dynamic with him, his dynamic with her family. Like, there's all these things that are going on. My, my sense, because I also went on the boards, is that people are like, after all this stuff that goes on, he threatens her. The kids are freaked out by him. There's like all these different like signs. It's like, why does she stay? You know, why does she keep allowing him to come back and stuff? And like placing that kind of blame on him. I think that's just like kind of part of the human condition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like all the time there are people who are in abusive relationships and they, for whatever reason, and I think, you know, I've got my theories, but don't want to or can't get out of them or whatever. So it's like the way she's acting is completely in keeping with the way people act in those situations. Yeah. But as far as, you know, John being, he figures it out pretty quickly. And I don't know you know, what criteria he uses to sort people out. But he was good at identifying somebody who he could manipulate like that. And he was very good at separating her from her family and getting these various relationships in a way that he's got her aligned against her family who are trying to keep her away from him. Right. I think the way Deborah acted was fine. I think that the kids, again, I mean, I think they're just intimidated and scared. I mean, you don't you don't expect something like that to suddenly invade, you know, your personal life, right. like a guy who's big and dangerous and mean and who you think might actually try and 
harm or kill you or you know somebody else in your family. And he's also very yeah. good looking. And if you've seen the photos yeah. at the website, you know he's okay looking. He's, I think he, well, I don't know. He's, 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 he's okay. He's, he looks he looks all American is why. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and very charming and experienced at doing this. He's very good at doing it. And I do think, and Alex O, our old friend who does the Wyrick impression, yeah. um, pointed out on our Facebook page that he thinks his question was how much does Deborah's status and presentation as privileged factor into some of the hostile reactions toward oh, her? Man. I think it does. I think we do behave differently toward women who are middle class or poor when we see them in these situations than we do. Because we see Deborah and we see she should know better, right? Yeah, but again, I think everyone's missing the forest for the trees. Well, this is we know an interesting story that. about Dirty John. <laughs> Not why Doug are we Deborah. talking about Deborah? I don't, I don't get it, people. Yeah, no. So I, I agree, and I think the story is this is a guy who has been a con man his whole life, and we are finally able to have a window into like the last couple years of his life in terms of what finally brought him down. And so you, you hear the history of. All the, uh, you know, his his wife that he met who put him through nurse anesthesis school. Who was so and how- wonderful and cool and chill, mm-hmm. right? And her yeah. phone calls with him was unbelievable. That's when he came alive for me. When we actually started to hear his voice yeah. and the way that he was. I would have. I wish. We, I wish alive. that could have come earlier yeah, in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Laura. Yeah. So it's it's really to me when I was thinking about this, it's like this. This is like one of like it's it's like a. A Lifetime movie, but it's not a Lifetime movie. It's that type of story that you always see on Lifetime about like the woman who gets involved. But it was more a character study of this guy who has really been his entire life lying and conning and mm-hmm. he's very good at it and what finally breaks him and it, it's like it reminds me of you know a couple stories we, we've talked about before we had a case here at my local hospital where a guy had been going around the country kind of stealing drugs and drug diversion and and it only came to a head when there was a situation and they finally caught him but it's like going back and trying to retrace where that person has been and been scamming people is really hard so I'd be really curious now that this story is out to hear who else is going to come forward, other women that he scammed and took advantage of over the years. Because that to me is like the bigger story is how long and how much was he taking from people? Mm. You know, I think it's much more than we ever would expect. And of course, the irony of his situation, and I kept thinking this, uh, was... Deborah obviously was willing to stay with him and forgive him even when she found out his whole past was a lie. If he could have just been nice... Yeah. To her family. Like he had it kind of made, right? Like she was supporting him. He basically were able to, I guess, move whenever they wanted to, like into a brand new swanky pad, like at the drop of a dime. Uh, He had access to cars. He had access to her money. He was able to convince her to like do all the things he wanted to do, put in security stuff. If he could have just held it together and been like a little bit nice to her family, her nephew, her daughter's. This probably could have gone on like forever, right? Well, there are a lot of gold diggers who are not homicidal. Yeah, and he's a gold digger. I think he wanted to control her, mm-hmm. and I think I think her family was the one thing that that would contest that control. So he wanted to isolate her from them. Well, here's an interesting question because this is actually something that Alex O also said. Doesn't it seem like creeps always can hone in not only on their victim, like who should be a victim? They also seem to know very quickly who's on to them, and they know who to isolate first. Like they know who to get out of the picture first, right, Kevin? I I wouldn't actually know, but I'll I'll take your word on it. Kevin, what was almost the name of our book notes on a killing? Busy bun. And why was it almost named that? 
because because Twitter, a controlling guy was oh, in a relationship yeah. and immediately knew that the strong-willed best friend was going to be yes. a problem. I yeah, I see where you're going. It yeah. does seem to me like these abusers, these guys, these you know, the ones who are physically abusive, the ones who are just narcissists and controlling, the ones who are like grifters, like John. They seem to target first the people they know are the biggest threats to their just pattern of control. I mean, we, I think we've talked about the show before. I have been in the situation being on the outside of a narcissistic controlling relationship for like six years. And there were periods of time where my good friend who was in this relationship would come and they'd break up and she would not stay at our house. She would hide at our house for like two days and then she'd go back. And then I was all... Open- it, it was never like physically abusive it was you could emotionally argue that it rough. was physically well, abusive it, but it was more emotionally it wasn't, rough it wasn't black eye abusive it was it was there abusive we, in a different way it's and, still the but same but yeah. i was the target immediately yes that, this I is the was, point you're making yes. i was always the one like from day one this is a very charming guy that a lot of people like and he knew it he mm-hmm. knew he had to get in between me and my friend because he saw me as the potential spoiler for this thing actually i've i've done some looking into like the narcissistic person personality because the book that I wrote about the guy in that you know he was highly narcissistic and one of the things that I came upon is the narcissistic person is kind of creating this perception of how great they are because they're secretly you know well not secretly but inside they're very insecure so they're creating this sort of fake persona and so their biggest fear is being exposed for who they really are and it's when they are exposed for who they are when somebody actually knows what the truth is like you would know that this guy with your friend was not great that's when they are the most threatened and that's when they're going to lash out and you know do something you know in some cases violent because they just it lose it this is like why john freaked out when his ex-wife called his mother because he knew the mother yeah, gave weird. her the, it wasn't yeah. weird to me that was the one where i saw so many parallels between the relationship i saw up close and this the and person then, who really knows him right and yeah, then he made yeah, up yeah. the story where i just talked to my mom where we laughed about you behind her no you didn't john no you didn't john i agree with you kevin when we first started hearing his voice in that episode with the ex-wife and those tapes yeah to me, that was when the podcast started getting good. I listened, it was like episode three, right? I listened to the first yeah, two episodes. You don't, we never hear from him, of course, because he's We dead, just hear about but, him, which is kind of, for me, yeah. like it didn't work until yeah. that Everybody point. else was a, was a living, vibrant, robust character, except John. I don't know if I'd call them all vibrant and robust. Well, but, but I mean, within the <laughs> podcast, you know, I, yeah. They were interesting. Everybody was present. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them were more present than others. Hey. Dropped a plot thread that a lot of people in our Facebook group uh, want to know about, including Mary, whose question was simply, who the hell was Ovaltine Girl? <laughs> oh, that just showed up? I think it was somebody that he met in jail or something, because it seemed like, didn't she, didn't even talk, did she? I assume that was a mistress yeah. who he was just like hooking up with at the house and they got their their wires crossed and she showed up at the wrong time. Yes, and we all know that the sexual lore of Ovaltine, it's a strong calling. <laughs> <laughs> Jill points out the end of the show, the very very end. We'll get to this we'll get to the climax in a minute, but the very very end, Jill says, is so creepy. She feels like if John were still alive, Deborah would go back to him again, especially when she tells the reporter when watching the video of her wedding, doesn't he look so happy? In the in the video, mm. Kevin, what do you think of that piece of tape? I thought it was a good way to end. You know, not that John, who is a bad guy, deserves an uplifting ending, 
but it, it was an interesting note to end this on. Wasn't that just about that Deborah is, wanting to believe that at least part of this was real? Like, just wanting maybe, to believe it a little bit. Maybe, or also it could be that this guy certainly is twisted and has a personality disorder and is the scariest criminal that a lot of these people came across, these lawyers and law enforcement people. But maybe he was in some way also motivated by his own pursuit of happiness. As twisted as that was, <laughs> he wanted, like all of us, to be happy. I, I kind of related it back to... Uh, the whole thing with her sister being murdered and the mother being like, well, you know, it's not like she was such a great wife. She didn't really. And so it, it seemed to me that there, a value in that family was, you know, making the man in your life happy. That sort of self-affirming to her that she was able to make him happy despite the fact all these other things. She fulfills that particular value. No, and And that piece of tape just shows how like completely fucked up that is. Mm. Forgiveness to a fault. What do you think, Laura? I thought it just showed, even though we've just heard all this, you know, we'll get to what happened in the end. It showed that his pull was still so strong. And that's what I kept thinking as I'm listening to this and she keeps going back. I'm like, he is so good at what he's doing that he's able to continue to keep getting her back. And I think it just showed that even in death, his pull was still that strong over her. So let's talk about the climax of the podcast, which happens when Tara, the tiny daughter who probably thinks zombies are real and doesn't seem to have her act together as much as everyone else in the family in a variety of ways, defends herself when she's attacked by John and stabs him, I don't know, 8,000 times. Nine? Uh, basically 13, fights off yeah. this giant guy who has what, shot himself with testosterone, so he's actually even stronger than... He normally would be, and she fights him off. And um, what did you think about the way Chris Gofford laid out all those places that Tara stabbed John? The elbow, the chest, the back, the neck, the back, the neck. What did you think of that narration, Kevin? I, I thought that that was very good. I don't think that would work on the page as well as it did in a podcast to, to hear that. Because, hey, there's no animation recreation of how she's going to stab him in all these different ways. He did it very succinctly. I, I thought that, it, that that was very effective because it tells you in order where she stabbed him and conveyed the violence without a certain amount of brutality. Hmm. Laura, what did you think of that uh, 14-year-old lifeguard who ran yeah. toward the scene of a crime <laughs> When no one else in that huge apartment building seemed to be doing much of anything at all. Um, I think I want to hire her as a babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of lifeguard, junior lifeguard training program is that? I was like, wow. And she was so calm. It was amazing. I couldn't believe that it, all these people. What did we just talk about where people all looked out the window and they saw somebody? Kitty Genevieve. That was it? Yes. And nobody did anything. And I'm like, and here's this 14-year-old girl. But I loved how he set it up where he's like, she's just coming back from her junior lifeguard training program when she went in. And I'm like, oh, junior lifeguard training is going to mean something. <laughs> um, but it, it gave me this like, it was like, I was thinking of like Gidget or something. It just had this very California, all-American feel to it. She was one of my favorite parts of that scene. I, I loved her. It, to me, she was like the real hero of the whole thing. And the other thing I loved about that little bit was the mom's 911 phone call. Her daughter is running toward the scene of a crime. And she's not saying... Honey, come back. She's saying to the cops, yes, my daughter is wearing a bathing suit and carrying a towel and running toward the scene of an attempted murder. And can you please get here? Because I think somebody's hurt. Like, this is a family of heroes. Bring a towel. 
Yeah. Like, it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is going to help. Well, she knew there'd be wounds. And yeah, that's no, what she, she learned. In, I it mean, did. if somebody skins their knee on the side of the pool, they need a towel, right? I would have brought a baseball bat, but good for her. <laughs> well, one other thing I just want to talk about about Tara is that we do hear this story uh, toward the end of the podcast where Tara believes that there was an attempted kidnapping in her life when she was six years old. And mm-hmm. her family then tries to convince her it's a dream and she kind of pushes it away. Did this attack on Dirty John, this fight that she has, did anyone think that maybe like the repression of this thing where everyone kind of is, keeps telling her everything's in her imagination, maybe she was, had been in some kind of peril in her life and she was just waiting this whole time like a turtle inside its shell for the threat to come along so she could finally do something about it since no one believed her? No. That's I, You don't think so? That's kind of what I thought. I, I kind of wondered about it. made me wonder about that. No, I think it happened, and I think it it fits the mo of this family that it happened, and they told her that it didn't happen. But I, I didn't think that you know. I think more her infatuation with the Walking Dead and getting her first zombie kill. Mm. I was like, um, I mean, I was just listening to the description of how she was holding the knife and how she knew to do this and that, and I'm like, maybe her infatuation with the Walking Dead went back to her fear that was always in the back of her mind about some guy coming in and trying to snatch her. I mean, whether it happened or not, if she feels like it did, it's going to have the same kind of psychological effect, right? Right, right. absolutely, absolutely. Well, it is that time in the podcast, guys. It's a time where we tell our listeners whether or not they should listen to the six episodes of Dirty John put out by the LA Times. I'm going to go around the horn, get your thumbs up or thumbs down review. Toby, try to keep the reasons for your thumbs up or thumbs down spoiler free so as not to annoy the listeners who have fast forwarded to this part in the podcast. What do you, what do you say, Toby? Dirty John, thumbs up, thumbs down. I give it a big thumbs up. I, I think it's sort of a top five podcast in my mind. They picked a great story and it's well told. Um, and there's a lot of compelling audio that they have. I would even go so far as to say, as far as just like purely like reported things, as opposed to like S Town and Serial, where you're kind of in the middle of something that kind of plays out during the course of the podcast. But for something that's, that's happened and that you're basically making a podcast about something that's already happened, if this isn't the best, it's like one of the top two or three. What about you, Laura Bricker? What's your review of Dirty, Dirty John? Thumbs up or thumbs down and why? I'm going to do two thumbs up here. This was, I think, probably my favorite podcast that I've listened to since I don't even know when. So I was one who was listening to it as it dropped. It was like one time it would drop one day apart and then it would be two days. And I was like, ah, waiting and waiting. So the last one dropped last Sunday morning. I woke up and didn't even get out of bed. I was listening to it. I I really liked the way that it was structured narratively and the decisions that Christopher Gofford made in terms of which pieces of information to tell when and how to release the story in such a way that the suspense really kept up for me throughout it. The conclusion was extremely satisfying in terms of the outcome that happened and the way that it was revealed. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, but I'm a lot less enthusiastic than both of you. I think there were a lot of flaws in this story, and I found myself again and again wondering why everyone was so into it Mm -hmm. as I was listening to it. I'm like, why is everyone talking about this? I was in episode one. I'm like, why is everyone talking about this? And I was in episode two. And then I was in episode three. And I was still like, why is everyone talking about this? Toward the end of episode three, I started to get it. But I also found myself wondering how so many people had gotten so far and were so hooked on it. 
And then at the end, I realized I had kind of binged all six episodes. So there was something there that was pulling me through besides just knowing I was going to talk about it on this show where I was looking forward to listening to the next one. But I don't think it was perfect or close to perfect. I love the music a lot in the show. I think the music choices were great and the songs were just really well chosen and good. Some of the style stuff was very, very good. I love Chris Gothard's delivery. I'd love to hear him do another podcast in that very sort of LA confidential voice that he has. I agree. We didn't talk about that, but I agree. He does, right? He has a noir kind of delivery that reminds me a little of Crime Town like that I really, really liked. But I'm giving it one thumb up. I guess that's the new... Th- I, I'm, I'm giving it thumbs up. No, no, don't fuck uh, around. Uh, Just I'm giving up. it thumbs yeah. up. I guess listen to the podcast. I didn't love it as much as Laura and Toby, but I listened to the whole thing and I can say, yes, yeah, worth a listen. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I'm a thumbs up. Uh, I agree with you on, on, on the fact that I was puzzled as to why different people were... Like, oh my God! See, episode three. Uh, this is a game changer. Whatever. I think different. It goes next level for different people at different times. Right. So don't listen to the first episode and do, go. Can what I is ask this you a all question? about? Yeah. Do you think this appeals to certain people in different ways because of experiences that they have had in their lives? That's maybe. what I wonder. Yeah, maybe. I just think that the story really, you know, ramps up. And we talk about this sometimes after we've listened to two episodes. Right, right. And we're like, I think it's going somewhere. I don't think it is. This went somewhere. But were you doubtful at first that it would? Because I was. I would have if the people, our, our friends on Facebook and Twitter, if you didn't had know not the been one rhapsodizing about <laughs> right, it. Right, right, No, I mean, number one doesn't mean anything right, right. On, on iTunes about the quality. But, you know, people were saying, stick with it. And I would say also, stick with it. Because it's a good character study in a guy by the name of Dirty John. You know, somebody who was looking for the good life. And if he really wanted the good life, all he had to do was join First Leaf to get great <laughs> deals on wine. And learn more about what kinds of wines he likes. Wow. I have to say, I knew there was an ad coming just now. I did not know it was going to be a wine ad. I'm excited, though. Very excited that we have a wine sponsor. Holla freaking Luya. Yeah. 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 You know, and the problem that some people have with wines is that it is pretty snobby when other people start talking about wines and then they talk about, oh, uh, the opulence of this wine or the acidity. The flavor profile. The herbinaceousness. What? The region. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All you want to do is taste it and say, I liked that wine. So that's why First Leaf and their service is great because you can get some pretty darn good wines and this is how you do it. You go to First Leaf, they have a great app and you order your wine selection by color, wine regions, and the frequency of how you want the wine shipments. And then you get an introductory three-pack of wines like we did. We got a nice Cab, a Shiraz, and a Merlot. Mm-hmm. And we got some international, we got a kind of a mix. We got to try them, and I thought that they were all very good. They were. They were very good. Yeah. And But what you do after that, you can drink the wines, and, and that's great. But what's going to make this good for you is you go back to the app and you rate each wine about the ones that you like, the ones that were just okay, because they will figure out with sort of this wine algorithm what you really like and send you new wines based on that. Mm-hmm. I, I like to say it's like Pandora when you skip it's or thumbs up. It's based. Yeah. It starts to learn like what your flavor profile is. Artificial intelligence yeah, so like, pairing you with the best wine. Right. You if you say have. this one, does, you don't care so much for this one. It's like, oh, this is a little high in, in acidity. So next we're going to send you something that's a little different. So as you go along, you're going to find 
certainly more and more wines that you really like. And First Leaf eliminates the middleman and works directly with the world's foremost wineries in France, Italy, and Napa Valley to get you great deals on wines. Your first package, it's three wines for just five bucks each. These are normally like $20 bottles of wine. Mm -hmm. So to order your three pack for the introductory wine for $15, go to tryfirstleaf.com. Slash crime. crime. That's three bottles of wine for only $15 at tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. crime. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. crime. Wait a minute. The introductory pack is $15 for at tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Yeah, for, for three fantastic wines. I'm not going to lie. Even if they weren't fantastic wines, it would be worth doing that for. But I'm, I'm ordering. I just wrote it down. I can't wait to finish up so I can make my order. Yeah, all three of the bottles we got were very good. <laughs> they, were, they were very different, and but they were good. There were wines that, frankly, I would buy. Different kind of labels, different kinds of you know regions and whatnot, but good. Yeah. I think you'll like it. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know how like in... in Dirty John, how Deborah and everybody else, you know, felt manipulated. Mm-hmm. We don't like feeling manipulated. Like when you go to <laughs> Speak a Speak for yourself, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> well, suppose you go to a boutique, Rebecca, or mm-hmm. a store, yep. and the salesperson starts pressing you on something you really don't want. A yes. blouse, uh, certain jewelry, whatever, and you feel like, oh, you know, it's impossible to get out there with uh, w- without having to buy something and you've got something you don't really like. Well, you don't have to worry about that with Le tote. Le tote. I was hoping we'd have a Latote ad this week. Yeah, feeling pressure from a sales clerk so that you buy like this puke colored top. <laughs> and then you have like all this regret. I think you're shopping at the wrong stores, Kevin. Yeah, by they the way. say, oh, it was so oh. trendy and you look horrible in it. You know, you're just like, screw that. That really highlights your chins. Yeah, it highlights your chins. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to happen with the tote where they send you a personalized box with brand name rental clothing and accessories right to your door. It's like a. Like a fashion pass where you rent your looks for one low monthly fee. And Latote has your fashion assistant, and they'll help style you, but you have full control over what goes into your box, and you can swap out the items to fit your schedule. Rebecca, you are an evangelist. Let's hear it. See this necklace I have on right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Latote. Oh, okay. I have gotten so many compliments on this. I wore it in New York. Three people asked me if it was Gucci because it sort of has the stirrup-like mm-hmm. thing. Super cute accessories, super cute tops. It's really fun to open these boxes and see these totes and see like, oh, this isn't something I would have picked for myself. Wear it once and then send it back and then like get something else. It's really yeah. fun. It's super fun. Or if you like it that much, like you, this can, necklace, you can purchase it. Which I kept it. and purchased yeah. and have gotten 10 million compliments on. So even if you move into your new sugar daddy's apartment with nothing but a bunch of cardboard boxes with clothes from Arizona University, <laughs> Go you, well, can still, yes, you can still live the high life looking great with Latote. Go to Latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E dot com and get started for as low as $59 a month. Enter promo code CRIME, crime. at checkout to get 50 percent off your first month once you sign up you'll receive your complete customized tote within days choose between one or unlimited totes a month just wear what you want and return everything in the mail when you're done it's that easy again that's letote.com enter code crime crime and feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door now it's time for a little something i like to call the crime of, of the, the week, week. A guy who was trolling a small Michigan police department on Facebook has promised to turn himself in if their next post gets 1,000 likes. 
We assume this also includes thumbs up hearts, LOLs, and crying emojis. <laughs> the man who goes by the name Champagne Torino not only has a history of bad comments on the Redford Township Police Department Facebook page, but also has some outstanding warrants. The department gave him one last warning. No bad comments or he'll be blocked. What came next was a gesture, we think, of goodwill. Torino <laughs> said if the cop's next post got 1,000 likes, he'd turn himself in and bring a dozen donuts with him. <laughs> even promised to pick up all the litter at the local school. The police accepted the challenge. The post got more than 1,000 shares in an hour. It's unclear whether Torino turned himself in, what he was wanted for, and why the hell he was following the police department on Facebook in the first yeah. place if he was, in fact, a criminal. A good question. So, panel, what is the next way the social media unit at the Redford Township Police Department could catch a crook? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, free pizza and beer. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, they posted up for certain people. Hey, guess what? We're having free pizza and beer at the police station today. Well, I have an idea, Kevin. Yeah. What about like a super clickbaity headline? Like, if you turn yourself in, you're not going to believe what's going to happen next. You know, it seems to work for BuzzFeed and shit, right? Right. Uh, ten great things you'll find at the township police department. <laughs> ten great things that will happen as you're being fingerprinted. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Toby? Do you have any ideas? I guess my guess would be, uh, what's that one where they can tell like where you're hanging out? <laughs> Foursquare? Foursquare. Foursquare, right. You so you just hi- you could, like hijack Justin Bieber's Foursquare account. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? I think uh, mugshots on Throwback Thursday. <laughs> All right, Laura Brecker, before we wrap it up, do we have a cat of the week this week? This one kind of caught my eye, and I, I know I need to get over to our discussion group because people have been crazy loading pictures in there. But Amy Jones, her dog, was put on antidepressants this week. Aww. I shit you not. Cheer up, Goldie. Mirtazapine for dogs. And it's a nice-looking little greyhound. And it's actually gray, and it does look sort of sad and blue. So I hope that the uh, antidepressants work. Because this reminded me of a time that a parrot over here at our local Humane Society was put on antidepressants because he kept pulling his feathers out. So, yeah. Oh, wow. It could be worse, Goldie. You could have a grifter for a dog boyfriend. Anything worse than a depressed parrot? <laughs> depressed <laughs> So bad. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> Rock, I read some ice cream. Uh, <laughs> don't like doing any of my things I used to do. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Oh, we should dear. probably end it on that note before we attract the ire of every other mentally ill person in America. Right, yeah. Kevin? Right. All right, Laura Bricker, people want to reach you online and figure out how they can send you their pets to be a cat or dog of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And of course, they can also submit them at the Crime Writers on Official Facebook discussion group because we are there as well, right? Yes. I promise I'll pick one from there next week. All right, Toby Ball, if people want to reach out to you, of course, they can reach you on the Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, but how can they also reach you on Twitter? At TobyBallNH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to tweet to you, how can they find you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out my new podcast, HGTV and Me. Please subscribe. You'll be doing me a solid if you do. You can tweet to the show at Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular Facebook page. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to buy stuff using our Amazon link and 
to sign up for our newsletter. I actually sent one out this week. Did you see that, Kevin? Yes. <laughs> if you love the show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend. And if you haven't already, leave a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference. Line production is done by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble with sexy sax soloing by the amazing Rocksteady Freddy, who gave us permission to use that performance. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, but we all know those fancy names are just a cover-up for what's basically a dirty John Hubble closet in our basement. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Yeah, Laura, your connection is terrible. You're totally crapping out. Your voice sounds totally different. You don't even sound like Rebecca. Yeah, Laura, can you log out and log back in real quick? Yep. Technical difficulties. It's the technical difficulty edition of Crime Writers On. All right, and Toby, I got your suggestion. That was actually my original plan, but I came up with an alternative plan. So once I suggested it, you changed the plan from the one that agreed with the one I was going to do? Kevin and I had this very debate this morning because I was originally going to do what you were going to do. And then he saw it was in the script and he was like, I thought you were going to have us all do the review first. So the two guys make a suggestion and you decide not to do it. Listen, I'm going to woman's explain to you why this isn't going to (laughs) happen. Podcasting is the reverse of Hollywood. I know. In order to get anything done, I have to sleep with her. Exactly. Exactly. Virtue Labs is a new hair care brand with a vision. Give everyone the best hair scientifically possible via an incredible new protein. Alpha Carotene 60KU is a whole human protein that's identical to the carotene in your own hair. It was discovered six years ago by a group of bioscientists and has the ability to resurface and fill in cracks from damage, giving more bounce, shine, and strength to your hair. And now you can get it exclusively at Virtue Labs' line of shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Just visit VirtueLabs.com and use the code CRIME to try Virtue at 10% off plus free shipping. Partners in Crime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.